So, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians. Chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I believe we begin at verse 10. found your place to stand in honor of reading God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Father, Lord, we come to you and we thank you so much, God, for your word. God, use it for your glory this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I believe that Miss Jamie read ahead in the scripture this week to be singing victory in Jesus and onward Christian soldiers to know that we're going to talk about spiritual warfare this morning. And, And that's exactly what we're going to do. When God called me to preach, Brother Mickey Bounds told me, know this, that Satan now aims his big gun at you. The devil is an enemy. He's an enemy to all. And you might not know this, but he's even an enemy to the atheist. When I say all, he only has concern for himself. He has no love for no other. It's just for himself. He is an enemy to God and to all that God has, which is everything. And he he aims his guns at those who know Christ. Those who are not in Christ, they're just in his traps. He, He doesn't have to have a gun aimed at them. Because he's got them in his trap. The devil's hobby is to destroy, 
to destroy. He is a destroyer. He wants to destroy marriages, families, testimonies of Christians, newborn Christians, the church, the very bride of Christ. He's out to destroy. He is an adversary, and he wants to destroy all. But listen, he's not only a destroyer, and I want you to hear this. He's not only a destroyer, brothers and sisters in Christ. He is a defeated foe. And living in this evil world and being surrounded with uh, his evil forces sometimes may make you feel that you're the defeated foe, but you're not. Scripture says that we're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. We're on the winning side. Amen. Matter of fact, it's already won. He defeated the devil in his sin-atoning death upon the cross of Calvary. And forevermore, for the believer, we can sing victory in Jesus. We can sing it to the top of our lungs because we have victory in Jesus. On the worst day of your life, when it seems like nothing else could go wrong, I want to remind you that there's victory in Jesus. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. What a plan of God to take His Son and put Him in a virgin's womb and have flesh to grow around Him for him to be born of a virgin and to have no sin and go to that cross as the spotless Lamb of God and to die for our sin and to give us victory. He put him in the grave and he won over death and he won over sin because he arose. Oh, what a Savior! Yes, there is a spiritual war and we need to be in the battle. We need so desperately to be in the battle. Why? Because He wants our family. He wants our children. He wants our church. And we need to be in the battle. Look in at Mr. James Garrett. I think about my life when I was little. Y'all have heard me say this so many times. We didn't have ball practice or ball games on Wednesday nights or Sundays. People went to church. Church wouldn't allow it. But our world is so growing in evil 
that, you know, it just, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll make parents think that their child will be the next superstar. And they won't go to church. They want their kid to be at practice. And he continues in all sorts of things to say, hey, fill your life with this, not the church. Fill your life with it, not the church. Listen to me, my friends. Church is essential. Because of the foolishness of preaching, men are saved. Mankind is saved. It is of yet most importance. I had the privilege of... Uh, going to speak to a men's group yesterday at a church in Cushada, Louisiana. And uh, is that right, Cushada? I see him. Okay, thank you. Uh, and, and there was about 25 to 30 men. And man, I was excited. I think I was supposed to spoke for like 20 minutes. It's supposed to be like a devotion, but I finally stopped probably about at an hour. And uh, so that's me, huh, Miss Linda? But uh, so... But anyhow, you know, and I, I basically, I, I preached on holiness yesterday. And how each and every one member of the church should expect holiness. I mean, as your pastor, y'all should expect holiness from me. You should expect me to live a holy lifestyle. But guess what? <laughs> As your pastor, I expect you to live a holy lifestyle. Because Scripture says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And that's God saying, be ye holy, for I am holy. But to live in holiness, we must be in the battle. Because see, there's forces that comes against us. There's forces that come against us, and, and it's not always someone else coming against you or co- coming against me. Sometimes it's me coming against me. I have more tro- problem with that guy than anybody. That's me. We do not need to sit on the pews and say, well... Did you hear about old brother John? Yep. He fell in temptation. He's out there in the world today living in sin. Now what we ought to do is call each other together and say, man, John, he's fallen. Let's pray. Let's join together and let's pray that God will pick him up. That God would put him back in service. that he will be strengthened by Almighty God. We need to suit up. We need to suit up and, and put the armor on. See, the soldier, when he, he knows he's going into battle, he has a suit of armor. And he puts it on. Every morning, workday morning, Brad puts on a suit of armor. 
He puts on a bulletproof vest. You wear a carrier now, right, Brad? That carrier has all kinds of equipment stuck to it. Mine weighs practically, well, counting my gun belt and all, 30 pounds. And I've never been shot, thank the Lord. I never had to shoot anybody, thank the Lord. But it doesn't stop me from going prepared. Christians, we ought to be prepared every day. Every day. Beloved, we are children of God. And our chief end in this life is to ascribe glory to the Almighty God. That that will not happen if all we do is sit on the pew. I want you to be honest. Have you ever sat on the pew and you left the church and you couldn't tell one thing that the preacher said because your mind drifted off somewhere and you thought about this and you thought about that and you just wasn't in tune with the preaching of God's Word. I don't need you to raise your hands because I'm almost certain that every one of you has done that at some time or another. I've done it. I like the biblical character of Uriah. When I was thinking about warfare, I thought about Uriah. Uriah was a soldier out fighting for Israel under King David. And I imagine him to be a very proud soldier fighting for his country and for his king. Meanwhile, King David gets up, who's known to be a warrior because David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. He was known to be a warrior, but this day he was laid up. He was idle. And he looked out and he saw Bathsheba and he sinned. He sinned with Uriah's wife. She became with a child that belonged to David. David was like, what am I going to do? Oh, I know. I'm the king. I'll call the captain and tell him to send Uriah in and Uriah can go home and, and they'll always believe that that was just Uriah's child. Do you remember what Uriah did? He couldn't go home. He slept on the steps of the palace 
He was there to guard his king, to make sure that nothing of evil would happen to his king. And David was like, oh, what, what am I going to do? I know. I'll call the captain and tell him, put him at the front of the line so that he may be killed. You know what? The captain, as I imagine it, said, Uriah, you at the front of the line. He said, yes, sir. And he took off and he died fighting for his king. That's a soldier. That's one that suited up every day with on his mind as he's going to serve the king. That thought never got out of his mind. I'm going to serve the king. What about you, church? Do you get up every day and listen? We got a good king. We have a faithful king. We have the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. That there's no fault in him whatsoever. And he calls us to serve him. Do you get up and do you suit up? Verse 10. Finally, be strong. Be strong. God's Word tells us to be strong. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this calling to salvation is not a call to easy life. There's too many times that I've heard of messages that says, oh, all you have to do is just walk down that aisle and come to the preacher and and your life will be so good. In a sense, that's true. Because you'll be saved. But the preacher shouldn't paint it like it's going to be easy. Because see, you have been in a trap of Satan, but once that God looses you from that trap, his guns, or Satan's gun is aimed at you. He's out to destroy you. He wants to throw obstacles in your path. He wants to destroy your witness. He don't want you to ever get off the ground. He does not want you to get excited about Christ. So therefore, if He could just get you to come in and sit on a pew every once in a while to make you feel just a little bit of warm, fuzzy feeling about yourself, that, hey, I go to church and I belong to this church, well, then He's fine. But if you have fallen in love with the Lord and you love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that you want to serve Him, He wants to destroy you. 
It's that call to salvation. It's not an easy life here on this earth. It is a call to follow Christ. To follow Christ. Where did Christ go? Christ went to the cross. He had no place to lay His head. People hated Him. He was mocked at. He was spit upon. He did not have an easy life. It's a call to follow Him. It's a call of repentance. Now you not you weren't good and you just decided to come and be a believer. You were evil. You're wretch. You were undone. You was formed in iniquity in your mother's womb. And God called you. He didn't call you because you smelt good, that you looked good, or or you as good of any part. He called you because He loves you. Nothing that you did to earn that. Not one iota thing. Every one of us deserves hell for eternity. It's only by the sovereign grace of God that we have salvation. It has never been about our goodness. It's always about His greatness. And how worthy He is that we may serve Him. And He tells us to be strong. Repentance takes a strong person. It takes a strong person to say, hey, I like this easy road. I like this real broad path here. I, I, it seems like I'm, I'm going really good on this broad path, and yet He's calling me to narrowness. He's calling me to trust in Christ alone. To live by faith alone. Through the Scripture alone. And you must be strong. You must be strong to be born again. To deny self. Although it does not promise us an easy road, there's no higher calling. There's no higher calling than anyone can, can travel is this call to serve a new master. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The verse echoes what Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5:3, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, excuse me, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Salvation is a call to freedom from the bondage of sin. But one must realize the chains that are weighting them down and discover where sin is leading them. Our innate sinful nature wants us to believe that there's some good in us. There's not. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are created beings that rebel against our Creator. We break the law of God and the penalty is death. It's damnation. It is to be damned. Yet, God demonstrated His love toward us. That while we were yet still sinners, He sent His Son to die that sin-atoning death upon the cross. In Matthew 16.24, Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up, the, take up his cross and, and follow Me. He's calling them to be strong. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There have been people that have given very little for the exchange of their soul. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Satan, our adversary, continually wants to dangle the allurements of the world in front of us. As if asking, will you give me your eternal soul for this? Or what about this? Know this, when the soul is bought, at judgment the soul will face hell. It will face torment. It will face remorse, suffering. What can buy it back then? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus has already paid for the penalty. Do not reject His sacrifice. Do not reject His sacrifice. Be strong. Be strong for Christ. Turn from self. Turn from sin. Repent. Change your direction. Jesus told Nicodemus that the one must be born again. We are born in sin. There must be a complete transformation. And that transformation is found only in Christ Jesus. The sin nature that mankind possesses is prone to sin. We do not have to put forth an effort to sin. It comes very easily. For mankind, it's readily available. It comes in all sizes. 
It'll come where it'll tickle your flesh and make you laugh. It stirs the ungodly desires that, that are receded deep into you, and some not that deep. It's tempting. But we're to be strong. And know it, it, it is a temptation to sell our soul for something. Know that while we are to be strong, we don't just rely on our strength. Because the verse continues on. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might. The strength of his might. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not ever according to the... We do not... uh, Live according, excuse me, I can't read my writing. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge uh, of our God. And we are taking every thought captive to obedience of Christ. Speculations. Speculations of thoughts, ideas, reasoning, philosophies, false religion, all of this sinful sway that barricades, barricades us in and against God and His gospel. Every thought captive. It is the tearing down of the ideas the thoughts, the patterns of of human satanic wisdom and rescuing them inside the damning lies that that has enslaved us. Remember the strength of His might. It It is vital to remember the mighty power of God. There's nothing He cannot do. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says that, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Know that, that you have greatness as a a Christian. You have greatness in you. It is of His Spirit. It is of His power. Elijah. What a prophet, Elijah. 400 prophets of Baal met with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. Find your way to verse 17. I want, I want to read this to you if you follow along. 
It said, beginning in verse 17, it said, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and that you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all of Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal, and 400 prophets of Asherah, and who eat Jezebel, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen. And let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on wood. Put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on wood. And I will not put fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it. First for you and you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. And they leaped about the altar which they made. And it came about noon. Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice, and they cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they raved until the time of offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood, and he cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers of water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. And he said, do it a second time. 
And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And water flowed around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and slew them there. Wow. Wow. How God strengthened Elijah. Isn't that awesome? Well, chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 3. He, being Elijah, was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, wanted him dead. He stood before the 450 prophets of Baal, strong and bold. And when he heard about Jezebel wishes, he ran scared. Every day, you must be strong in the Lord. Every day. Be strong in Him. God is the same God. The God in chapter 18 is the same God that was in chapter 19. He does not change. His power is every day. Every day. It depends on if we're recognizing that He's powerful enough that anything that you have, any circumstance that comes into your life, He is all-powerful. David. In chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, in verse 26, David asked a question about this big giant named Goliath. 
he was out there taunting the army of God. And David was just a young boy. He came to bring his brothers some items from the house. And and he seen this giant down in the valley taunting the army of God. David asked this question in verse 26, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Did you think, do you think that David as a little boy is saying, big boy, you might be big, but have you seen God? This is God's army you're messing with. Who are you? The army was scared. And what he's really saying, is he bigger bigger than God? Hey, soldiers, do you know who you belong to? Do you know who the superstar general is? David faces Goliath. The the giant is disdaining him. You send a boy? Am I a dog? Did you come with me with sticks? He cursed David. He He told David that he would let the birds eat his dead body and the beast of the field would eat him. That he was going to kill him and leave him dead there in the field, in the valley. Oh, then verse 45 and 47, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, See, the Philistine said, You come with me with sticks? He had a slingshot. David said to him, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin? But I come to you in the name of the Lord. the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines. Don't worry about the birds going hungry. And the wild beasts, because they're going to have plenty to eat on, because I'm going to give it the army of the Philistines to the birds and the beast. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or by the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. He reached in his pocket. You know, sometimes I just kind of want to know some of the adjectives. He said he reached in his pocket and got a smooth stone. I wonder if he felt one that was rough and said, nah, 
We'll do it with a smooth one. And he struck him in the forehead, and the big man fell. And David took his head off. He said, no, this battle is not mine. It's the Lord's. It was the Lord's name that you taunted when you taunted his armies. It was the Lord's name at stake when you was ridiculing Israel, his people. This battle is not mine. It's the Lord's. You need to know that in spiritual warfare that you are the Lord's. You need to know whose child you are. This same God and this same David, some years later, you will find David running from Saul, hiding in caves. God was the same God. God had already given him the kingship. God has not changed, but David's running scared and hiding. Some years after that, he's running scared and hiding from Absalom, his son. God never changed. And where you might can think back at a time in your life where you were just so close to God and you felt so strong in the faith, But you don't feel that way now. God hasn't changed. Not one single little bit. He is a non-changing God. So where have you changed? And do you need to repent and turn back to Him, the Almighty, the strong God, I've covered this. I jumped ahead in my notes a little bit. We'll go back over a little bit. The next thing, that was to be strong and be uh, strong in the Lord's might. And now we're getting to putting on the armor of God, which I called earlier suiting up. To suit up. God's Word tells the believer that there is a suit of armor for the Christian. The soldier is to be prepared each and every day to be prepared. And there, are, there, there would be no need for the suit of armor if there were not battles to be fought. There are battles to be fought. Are you battling for that loved one of yours that's lost? Are you battling? I, I've heard testimony after testimony, uh, and a lot came from preachers that I knew that... Uh, men of God who talked about their ungodly life as a young man and how when they would come home from carousing and doing things like that, that they would hear their mother praying for them in her bedroom and praying and praying. Do you battle for your children, for your grandchildren? 
Brad, Virginia, I would encourage you as parents to pray every day that God has already got some little girl, that their parents has got them in church, and that they're going to raise her up as a Christian, and that you'll be dedicated to raise James Garrett up as a Christian, and that one day they can come together and they can serve Christ together and be eagerly yoked. Amen? All that we're praying, we're doing battle on our knees, that we're suiting up. God has preparation for us to go into the battles, the spiritual battles that we face. We must realize that they are His battles. It is about His name, His strength, His suit, His armor. We are His soldier. And we must, if we have to, sleep on His steps and serve Him faithfully. Not in His pews, but serve Him. We get to verse 11. It says, Be strong in the Lord and His might to suit up. And verse 11 was telling us suit up. Part A, verse, part B, the second part there, tells us to stand firm. To, you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We're to suit up to be able to stand firm for the schemes that the devil has. Oh yes, our adversary. The old roaring lion that 1 Peter 5.8 says that your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He has schemes. Schemes, this Greek word carries the idea of cleverness, crafty methods, cunning and deception. Satan's schemes are to work through the evil world system over which he rules. It entails all sin, immoral practice, false religions, distorting God's word. He, so to speak, has a full deck of schemes. He, he knows how to pick the scheme for you and for me, although they might be the same, but they might be different. Therefore, we must stand firm. You know, the world knows you for what you stand for and what you stand against. Amen? They know what you stand for and what you stand against. I've shared this with you many a time, but here I go again, because it's a good example. Smokey Matthews loves the Lord. He serves the Lord. He teaches Sunday school at his church. And Wednesday night, he teaches at his church. And he, was, he retired from Monroe Police Department. And one day I was sitting in a briefing in the break room, writing a report and several other guys. An officer comes in. He's, he's distraught about something. He's mad. He's angry. 
and he comes in and he shouts God's name in vain. And Smokey, at that time, in 1986, he was Mr. Louisiana. He was a bodybuilder. He got permission from the Monroe Police Department back in that day to have his sleeves, short sleeves cut so his arm could fit in them. And um, that big man got up and he went over to that officer and he put his nose that close to that other officer's nose and he said, don't ever curse my God in front of me again. And he just walked out. And it's kind of like that E.F. Hutton moment in, uh, y'all remember that commercial? And that break room that day and everybody's being quiet and the guy that said that he kind of just do his hands up like that and I said I love that guy <laughs> but you knew where Smokey stands you know where he stood people know you for where you stand and they know what you stand against I guarantee you that officer never said that in front of Smokey again. Do people know you that way? Can they look at you and say, I know that she stands for this and she stands against this. I know that guy. And I'm not trying to get you puffed up about yourself. Smokey wasn't puffed up about himself. It was the Lord's name at stake. It had nothing to do with Smokey. Except it being his Lord. The one he loved. And God says, stand firm for him. When someone's wanting to tell you an ugly joke that doesn't glorify God, or someone's wanting to gossip and run someone else down, and it doesn't glorify God, Stand against it. Stand firm. As Christians, we are representatives of Christ. We are not representing him if we don't take a stand. Matthew 10, 32 says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 33 says, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father, who is in heaven. Oh, I want to, when I go to heaven, I want Jesus said, Hey, Father, there's Larry. You know Larry. He confessed my name. How awful it would be if it was the other way around. 
Like in Matthew 7, depart me for depart from me for I never knew you. Do people in your everyday life know that you stand for Jesus? And that you stand against the schemes of an evil world and the devil? Now we move to verse 12. We looked at standing firm. We looked at the schemes of the devil. And we look at our struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against spiritual force of wickedness in heavenly places. To struggle is to wrestle. It is to be hands-on. He is to wrestle with it. He is, it is to be attacked with cleverness of all that Satan throws at us. The, the attack that are highly structured coming from the dis, uh, destruction because as we know that is the adversary, that's his purpose. That's the devil's purpose. We're not struggling with flesh and blood, but with wickedness with evil spiritual forces, depraved abomination, dealing with hatred, bitterness, anger, lies, pride, covetousness, sexual perversions, and the list is lengthy of demons that faces people because the destroyer is wanting to destroy. But march on. Christian soldiers. Because the battle has been won. Stay in the fight. You're a child of God. Look. What is it that you fight for? There's a lot of things I'd fight for. I'd fight for that lady any day. I wouldn't let no one harm her. My children, my grandbaby, y'all. Those who we love. And Satan wants to hurt everyone I just mentioned. So get in the fight. Next week we'll look at the armor of God. But know. He's out to destroy Don't let him destroy your witness. Be strong in the Lord and his might. Don't lean upon your own understanding, but in all your ways, trust in the Lord. And he will guide you.